0: Kendra Winchester, here with Autumn Privet, and this is Reading Women, a podcast where we're reclaiming half the bookshelf by discussing books written by or about women. And this is episode 48, where we're talking about free food for millionaires by Min Jin Lee, and My Life in France by Julia Child.
1: And these are two books that are such different interpretations of a food theme. <laughs> <laughs> Which is That's the great really thing about these themed episodes. Like, I love them. I, I'm really enjoying them.
0: Yeah, and I do like the interpretation. Like, sometimes one of us will take it very literally, uh, and one will take more symbolically, or vice versa. Or sometimes we just get a very eclectic mix, so I I do really like them.
1: And these two books are ones that have been on our to-read list for a really long time, so it's also nice to kind of get those taken off the old TBR stack.
0: It's very true, especially since, you know, at least free food is... is Pretty hefty, so it's
1: pretty hefty. It's about six hundred pages, and as I mentioned <laughs> in the last episode, it's part of what Min Jin Lee considers a trilogy in her book. So, having read Pachinko, of course, I had to read this one before her new one comes out, whatever that is. But you know, have to be ready.
0: Yeah, and when you know when she was talking about her thematic trilogy with the three of them, and you know her next one is American Hagwon, I was so excited because like I feel that she's just doing this grand thought experiment about di- different aspects of her own identity and just looking into that and having talked to her and then reading this one, as opposed to reading the book and then talking to her. I, I feel like
1: I could see a bit more of her in, in this one. Yeah, I thought it was really helpful to, to kind of understood that context before I read it. And then My Life in France, obviously, is more a more literal interpretation. So that's a more of a loose interpretation. And My Life in France is more of a literal interpretation. And uh, I think you were about a quarter of the way through the book and you said, oh my goodness, I'm hungry the entire time I yeah. reading this book.
0: Yeah, I was so hungry. And, you know, I, I don't think I've ever mentioned this too often, but I have a lot of food allergies. So I can't, whe- I can't eat wheat or, or dairy and uh, a lot of other things. So it was like, okay, well, I need to live vicariously. So... Who <laughs> knew there were so many different ways to cook a fish? I mean, Seriously. So before we get too far down this rabbit hole, we should probably start talking about free food.
1: Yes. So as you mentioned, the first book that we're going to be talking about is Free Food for Millionaires by Min Jin Lee. And this book was originally published by Warner Books, which is an imprint of Hachette.
0: So you have, we've been looking forward to this book for a while. So what was your first impression of reading Free Food for Millionaires?
1: I think I expected it to be another pachinko, which is silly, like Really, you shouldn't expect that out of an author. um. So, because the tone and the style was so much different from Pachinko. Like, Pachinko, I feel like, I don't know, it's perfect in all ways. <laughs> um, that is not hyperbole. Not at all. Um, so the tone was a little bit different. And so... We're introduced at the very beginning to this character, Casey Hahn. And Casey is all over the place. And I didn't like her at first. And then the more I read, the more I realized I wasn't necessarily supposed to like her. And so once I got about 50 pages in, I tore through this thing. I could not put it down.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it is. It is very different, like you said. And I feel like you could tell that she wasn't as sure-footed with this book and when you when we talked to her she mentioned that she had written was it like two full novels before this one was published? So like she had had so. a lot of struggle with thoughts of failure and different things. And then finally she wrote this one and got it published and it was well-received and different things. And so I think you can tell in Pachinko, she's definitely more sure-footed in her writing and is more mature as a writer. But this one focuses more on a contemporary view of, you know, Korean life in America as opposed to a historical view of Korean life in Japan.
1: But it does still have a very historical element in the sense that it feels very Dickensian in the sense that there are a lot of characters and a lot of characters that change and shift and morph overall. So it does have more of that, but it does. So it does still have that kind of, I don't know the word I want, like historic feel to it. Cause it feels like it's part of a tradition.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely kind of that Epic. And she talks about in the book, that uh, the Casey, she reads a lot of classics and a lot of those dense books, like mm-hmm. um, you know, was it Middlemarch? I think it might have been one of them.
1: Yeah, um,
0: and other. And she reads Dickens actually in the book. And there's a first edition. Is it first? What what first edition does she buy? Uh, get, Jane Eyre. What, Jane Eyre. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think there's definitely a nod to that grand scope kind of tradition of following a single character through years, through her like formative, finding herself sort of years.
1: Yeah, I absolutely think that's true. One other thing that I thought was interesting about this book was the title. So the title is comes from a scene kind of early on in the story where Casey gets a job at an investment bank. And when she's being interviewed, the interviewer tells her to go to the banquet, like this lunchroom, to have lunch because they cater food all the time. And he's kind of explaining to her the culture surrounding like who goes and gets lunch and how much they eat and all those kinds of things and he says that you know millionaires love free food it's free food for millionaires which happened really early on and I didn't really quite understand the context of that comment until I got later into it but it really is a great title that kind of encapsulates this idea of like the rich getting richer which is kind of a theme throughout the entire book
0: yeah, and I, you know, I was looking for it because I feel like, I think you might have given me a heads up of something or other. And so I was looking for it and, you know, she's, Casey's been thrown out of her house and she's struggling for money. And she's, she's living off like a ramen and things she's stealing from her friend. I mean, her friend knows, but, you know, basically stealing our friend's fridge. And so she gets to this place and there's all this food and all of these people who have all this money are getting free food. And it's like, what? Like, I'm starving here trying to get this job so I can actually eat food and maybe start paying off my bills and these millionaires are getting free food. And I feel like that's like the critique on the class culture, in a sense, of that area of New York.
1: And especially in when you think about Casey, because her parents are immigrants and they work for a laundry and they, that they don't own. And so her parents have always worked really hard and they live in the same apartment they've lived in since they moved to New York, which was a long time ago. So Casey kind of has to balance these two worlds between, like, the super rich, like her friends from Princeton and her boyfriend, who's also from Princeton, and then her family and her parents, who are still very poor and still have a very safe, scrappy kind of mentality.
0: I don't know. Some, one of the things that has begun to draw my notice recently when i'm reading literature is just the class difference and i feel like with the emphasis on stories in new york oftentimes they're focusing on like you know rich white people problems which i mean some of those can be really fun but we're not actually getting at the core of people working really hard and and suffering just just to make it and how the opulence of these millionaires can live right next to poor people like casey's parents
1: I think, too, we often get a lot of stories about people who are just starting out on the American dream, as it were. And this is kind of in the middle of the story. It's not at the beginning, definitely not at the end. And it's kind of this middle place, which was also a really fascinating time to study or to read about.
0: And on that vein, there is a lot of look at Casey's identity as a Korean American and as the daughter of immigrants. And she's part of a... You know, vibrant Korean community living where her parents live, and there's a church there. Um, her friend, who she ends up staying with, goes to you know the same church, and you know her dad's a dentist. So like, there's there's that you know both are Korean Americans, both are the children of immigrants, but one has so much and one and one doesn't, and there's just this harsh contrast of their two journeys of figuring out who they are as Korean Americans. It's really heartbreaking.
1: It really is, and even Casey's sister who. Is also plays a not as prominent role as her friend, but she also is struggling with her identity. And I thought it was fascinating to contrast those three women because one has all the money and privilege and has a really hard time and still struggles, which you would think would give her. leg up and it does in a lot of ways like not discounting that at all and then Casey who's taking the non-traditional path like going against what her parents kind of want for her and then her sister and I apologize for not having written down her name um who marries a good Korean boy and they get married and all those things and she kind of follows the more traditional path but none of them like actually get what they want so I like that the book was ambiguous in that way because it's it's kind of letting us fill in the blanks for ourselves
0: Autumn, you sent me to an article. um, Was it NPR interview um, on this one? Yes. Um, It says I was, and it says she was actually inspired by a Bible verse that says, "Man cannot live by bread alone." And I, and thinking about that, I think that really encapsulates like what sustains us as people. What gives us joy and what is what is our passion what do we want to do and it's the idea of that nourishment of our souls almost of who Casey is and I really love watching that development of her finding out what makes her happy ultimately
1: because she tries a lot of different things and all the people in this book try a lot of different things like whether or not they have money and it really shows that regardless of what money people have or or the privileges or not that they're afforded, that everybody's really kind of struggling with the same question that you brought up of, like, what sustains you. And survival also is a huge theme in this book as well.
0: Yeah, definitely. And the difficulties of money, and money doesn't necessarily mean that you're happy. And I think there's a lot of different characters in the book, I don't want to give any spoilers, that ultimately find that, The money for them is not what makes them happy and trying to figure Mm -hmm. out what job in the world would make them happy and doing what you love is also a resounding theme in this and i think that's interesting because we know that Jin lee left her job as a lawyer which she didn't enjoy to become a writer so like the fact that she did you know the quote-unquote appropriate thing of going and getting these really nice degrees in a lawyer and ultimately finding she enjoyed writing instead i think there's definitely some sort of parallels there that I think she's talked about in some other talks or interviews about her own journey, becoming a writer and knowing that she has this personal experience, not that she is Casey by any means, but that she's experienced this journey of trying to find what sustains her.
1: And we have talked a lot about Casey and Casey is not a likable character. (laughs) No, no. I wanted to bang her over the head. Like there was something like quit making the stupidest choices ever. Like, what are you doing? (laughs) I know. I know. Um, In that same NPR interview, though, Min Jin Lee says that she says, quote, but I think that within the Korean American community in talking about Casey, uh, there are these groups of Korean American girls who are very lost and they're very upset and angry and we don't actually ever hear about them. And my friends who are Korean, actually, we joke about crazy Korean girls, the ones who are always shopping too much or getting in trouble, but we don't ever hear about them, the ones who actually attempt suicide, are constantly depressed, have eating disorders. And I thought, you know, I know those girls, and in some ways, I've been kind of that girl. And so I thought that that was really helpful, too, because one of the characters does attempt suicide at some point and it's one person who you think would have everything. So I think, you know, if you kind of take a step back and say like, okay, why is Casey the way she is? That It's really helpful for understanding her character and why she's making all the bad decisions that she is. Yeah. I, I definitely just
0: found that this book was incredibly insightful with why characters are doing the things that they do and unraveling that and making us step back as readers and look at that character in the whole context of, you know, the book and their life and what has happened to them and on why they do the things that they do. And that was just incredibly well done. And it's done on such a grand scale, like in all of these 500 and whatever pages, you know, and I was just so impressed with that, that even though this is her debut novel, it's just that's so well done.
1: Absolutely, it's it really is a very immersive read <laughs> for sure, um, and really thought provoking. I was surprised at considering like that. I felt kind of tepid about it at the beginning, truthfully. I really have thought about it a lot since I finished it, and I I actually I can't believe I'm going to say this. I actually kind of want to reread it.
0: <laughs> no, I I believe it. I feel like it's it's very complex for what it is, and. One of the things I think is so difficult is describing a job that you personally don't do. And there are jobs in here of a milliner, like so a hat maker, of the investment banker, of a dentist. There's um, there's some sort of administrative school job stuff going on. Uh, there's doctors in here. And and when she describes what it's like to be them, it, it feels genuine, like I'm learning something about this career path that I will never take. But I find it interesting. <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> Right, absolutely. So her her characterization is just really amazing.
0: Yeah, she goes all out. Like, she is all in with this book.
1: And it just makes me even more excited for her next one. No pressure, men. If you're listening, no pressure. But, um. No, I mean, there is.
0: I think she's pulling a Donna Tart, though, and it's like, you know, like 10 years or whatever between books. I know, but. Anyway. That's fine. That's fine. We'll have, they're paced out
1: very well. We'll have Don Tart. Five years later, we'll have Min Jin Lee. There you know, go. Hart. Ba- balance, right? It's all about yeah. balance. Yeah. <laughs> so there are actually a lot of things that we didn't talk about in this book because with almost 600 pages, you really can't talk about everything. And we're really careful on these episodes about not giving away spoilers, but hopefully in talking about the themes and kind of what we feel like is the purpose behind the book, it'll pique your interest to pick it up.
0: And it's newly out in paperback, or at least they've reissued it recently, I believe, since Pachinko came out. So you can find them more easily now. Um, so you'll definitely want to go check that out uh, because it's just, it's really addicting.
1: It is really good. So that it's is. very page turnery. Very much a page turner for a 600 page book. So that is Free Food for Millionaires by Min Jin Lee. So that brings us to our
0: ad spot where we're talking about the reading women's store. Now, many of you know that we have tote bags and bookmarks and stickers. We've actually released a new series of bookmarks. So we have two new ones that you can purchase in the store. And we also do book blind dates where you send us some of the books that you have enjoyed recently and we choose a book just for you. And we have recently restocked our book our store because you guys really like went to town during reading a month and so we've gotten some brand new books in that we're really excited about
1: yeah i i think i shipped close to 20 books last month
0: yeah i i we were we were overwhelmed by all of you so thank you so much uh we greatly appreciate it and we really enjoy doing the book blind dates So we have a lot in store if you haven't already, or if you want to purchase another book blind date, we are here for you. And we really enjoy doing that. And it's just a great way, I think, to get to know some of you as well, because you tell us some of the books that you love. And some of you have even said, Hey, I want to buddy read a book with my friend, would you give us the same book? And I
1: was like, that is a great idea. Yeah, we've done a couple of those now. We've also, I recently shipped one out that someone ordered it for a friend. And the note said, I'm getting this for a friend who recommends such great books to me. I wanted to return the favor. And I was like, that's so sweet. That's a kind thing to do.
0: This, you guys are just so great with your experience that we've had with our store. And so if you haven't already, you'll definitely want to check out the Reading Women store. We'll have the link in the show notes. And you can follow it and, and see what you like. We uh, really, really enjoy, I don't know. Shipping books out to you. What was I saying? We really enjoy
1: enjoy curating it. We have a lot of fun picking them out. Yes.
0: (laughs) What Autumn said. Always what Autumn said. (laughs) So my pick is My Life in France by Julia Child uh, with her grandnephew, Alex Prudhomme. uh, But he said in the in the introduction to the book that he pulled this together from his conversations with Julia as well as the... Intense amount of letters that she and Paul wrote to his grandfather, who was Julia Child's husband's twin. Long story read the
1: book, it's great. You were actually the one who introduced me to Julia Child in literary form, so I think I should be the first to ask you, like, what did what was your initial impression of this book?
0: So, when I first started this book, I found it a little slow because she does take a while to set up, like you know, her background and that they were just married. But once she actually starts going to culinary school, it really picked up a lot because the way that she describes food is so vivid. Mm. And you can tell, like, her true passion for food comes out. And I feel like a lot of people are told to, like, you know, squelch some of that passion to not be so intense and in love with the things that they do love. But she's not. She totally goes for it. And you can definitely tell.
1: Yeah. And as I mentioned before, I really was impressed by the fact that she didn't learn to cook until she was in her late 30s. She had this amazing career working for the government during World War II, like organizing files and keeping track of, I think, spy stuff. I don't know. She was, yeah. Yeah. Top, top. Security, something yeah. Like and it, she yeah. lived all over the world and all of these far flung locales. And so she definitely had a full life. When she got married to her husband, Paul, she was, he was stationed in Paris, also working for the government. And she was, had all this time on her hands. And she was like, you know, I really need to learn how to cook. And I thought it was so funny when Paul, in one of his letters, was talking about how terrible some of her first dishes were. <laughs> yeah,
0: I, I just love them. Like, sometimes you see couples and it's like these horrible stories in novels about like dysfunctional couples or whatever and there are really very few married couples to aspire to but seeing her and paul a real life couple who genuinely loved each other and supported each other it just really broke my little heart into a million happy pieces i I don't know how i don't know how to describe other than that
1: It was an amazing portrayal of a couple who truly, truly supported each other equally in everything that they did. You know, he had to move some places for his job that she didn't really want to go to. And then when he was ready to retire was when he really helped her get her cooking career going. So it really was a lot of give and take. That was really beautiful to see.
0: Yeah, I just think they're adorable. And also, we can't talk about this book, I don't think, without talking about the movie Julie and Julia, which we mentioned in the last uh, podcast episode that was written, I think, and directed by Nora Ephron, uh, the one and only goddess of, you know, Hollywood. Uh, so we, I really enjoyed that movie um, by, with Amy Adams and Meryl Streep. And like Meryl Streep's portrayal of Julia Child is just, it's just perfection. <laughs>
1: Don't hate me. Do you not like it? S- I haven't seen it. Oh,
0: oh, okay. No, that's fine. That's fine. You don't like it yet because you haven't seen it. See, that's fine. Well,
1: I love Meryl <laughs> Streep, so I'm already like halfway there.
0: Yeah, yeah, and it's. I think you will. You will love it because Meryl Streep is. I think she was actually nominated for an oscar for this one for as like supporting actress because i remember she was nominated in both categories one year for i think this might have been one of them but anyway either way like you know we all know meryl streep is like a goddess of of acting so anyway she does an amazing job and so seeing like the portrayal of her and then seeing julia child i was always envisioning like meryl streep's version of julia child but (laughs) i i don't think i've actually ever seen julia child herself her tv episodes
1: Okay, that's where I win because <laughs> <laughs> as someone who grew up on a steady diet of PBS, um, I would see her show. And I remember as a kid being kind of terrified is not the right word, definitely intimidated because she is very tall and she would, you know, do these very traditional French recipes, which always involved like strange things with meat. <laughs> of, like hitting things on a cutting board. And I just didn't really understand what was going on at the time. But now I feel like I need to go back and watch it because she really was a pioneer for food TV. She definitely
0: was. And, you know, I've always loved food TV. We would we didn't have cable when I was I was younger. And so well, I visited my grandfather and Heat Emerald was on. And then the Japanese version of, you know, Iron Chef was on. And I fell in love with Food Network. And we've had a very long and happy relationship together. Um, And so when I saw this, the movie Julie and Julia, I fell in love because it's about a modern woman in her reflections of with a woman in food TV. And I definitely related to that. Uh, And it's a a great movie. I I did read Julie and Julia, the book. I hated the memoir. I, I thought she was just too unlikable. And then I read her like part of, I think, the second book. And it was just, I just didn't enjoy any of that. But reading this book, I was kind of nervous because I was like, well, what if I dislike it? Like I like dislike Julie and Julia, but I really did enjoy my life in France and her descriptions of food and her dedication to every single recipe in that book, uh, Can- Mastering the Art of French Cooking.
1: Can we talk a little bit about TV? Yes, please. So, you know, you mentioned Mastering the Art of French Cooking, which is what I knew about. Uh, as well you know her cook her first cookbook, which i it took years to write in a very Donna Tartt sort sort of fashion speaking <laughs> of, but I didn't realize with her t v show that when like t v came out after she her first cookbook came out and she really saw the potential for it on a cooking show. And after a couple failed attempts or uh, awkward attempts or however it would describe it, she really, as I mentioned, like was its pioneer for, I would argue for like modern day food network in the sense of like, she was describing how she planned to do these cooking segments in the studio. And then she spent a lot of time in France, like talking to, Bakers, at boulangeries, and talk to grocers, and interview people who owned the stores that she went to in Paris, which is actually something that still happens on food TV today, which is crazy. I mean, she came up with the idea.
0: Yeah, definitely. She definitely was an incredible pioneer for for that. And you know, as an avid lover of food TV, I that is my number one thing that I watch is, is, you know, I watched Food Network Star, I chopped the whole nine yards. And there's also the travel kind of show she did in like a documentary, she would said that, you know, she did would do an episode on, I don't know, baguettes or whatever, and they would actually go to France. And they had like, you know, the shot of the bakery in France. And she actually talks about the changes of France french cooking and like how the smaller butchers and different things were disappearing by the time that she started her cooking tv show compared to when they first went to france and i just was really heartbroken like just reading that how it was changing so much and part of france was going to be disappeared and even if i went there now it wouldn't be there anymore
1: it is sad but even that she had the foresight to try to record some of that stuff was really incredible it and it did make me want to go to paris and have a French meal for sure. Yeah. I, I, I just, there's just so many different food places
0: that I want to go in my life. I mean, I want to go to Japan. Uh, I want to eat French bread, but there's a lot of things that have to happen before I can eat French bread. (laughs) Um, I want to go to Italy and eat pasta. But, you know, when she talks about food, you can tell that she's just, so appreciative of genuinely of good food and to me one of my favorite types of characters or people is a genuine person who just loves what they love and maybe that's because i'm that way but i i loved her passion for food and her attention to detail and care and everything that she did like the story of her trying to find the perfect baguette recipe for the home cook was amazing
1: oh my goodness (laughs) like she said she did hundreds of versions of her mayonnaise i think
0: (laughs) yeah yeah and um there's um she said that like eventually like paul was like no more mayonnaise (laughs) like i can't eat any of this and she was giving it away um there's a scene in julie and julia where she's learning to chop onions after like the um teacher like basically said you you're too slow essentially and she was like I will beat these boys and so she's crying because of the onions but she's also crying because she's upset that like he insulted her so she has like this giant mound of onions like in her kitchen and, and like rail Streep's like cutting these onions and crying and like yelling out in her like Julia Child voice that it's like one <gasps> of the best scenes <laughs> No, I've got to watch this you do I'm gonna send it I'm gonna send it home with you the next time you're up
1: okay sounds good and I didn't realize that she actually co-wrote her first cookbook with her friend Simca. Yeah,
0: I didn't realize that either until um, I watched the movie because I knew of the cookbook because I was very into cookbooks. You know, my mom's the kind of person that says, "Oh, here's your, you know, your first Betty Crocker cookbook" when you're like, I don't know, ten or whatever. Uh, I knew about, it. and you see it everywhere in bookstores. And being a books lover of books and food, like you see that. So, but seeing that, it like the collaboration between the two of them was just. Really interesting because you know Julie Chad was a French, so she collaborated with a French woman and then another French woman for the first one, but and then she would translate that for the American audience, and that was very interesting. And I I read a lot of articles about heritage kind of food, like heirloom food, and she would talk about how there were ingredients in France that they didn't have in America, readily available, and how to translate that, or how flour is different in America versus France, and and now with how processed our American food is, it's even worse now, the discrepancies, I think. So I found that a very interesting topic for her talking about.
1: Yeah, and even talking about their differences in opinion, because as we've mentioned, Julia was very detailed and very technical when it came to her recipes, even though she loved them. Like she balanced the technicality with the love of food, whereas Simca was more freeform, maybe. That's not French. Yes. <laughs> But, like, that was a point of—that was a a problem that they had when publishing it was that Julia had to make sure that American audiences could make it, and which I would have never even thought about. That's such a crazy challenge to have to deal with.
0: Yeah, and she said at the time that there were not, like, step-by-step instructions in American measurements— for the front the average you know american person to cook french food and so just, i hadn't even thought about that so even the cookbook itself was revolutionary because it made a certain style of cooking accessible to the average american
1: cook and can we talk a minute about the publishing of her first book
0: yes oh my goodness that is amazing i had just like i nerded out so much and then on the movie meryl streep is like
1: Knoth how do you say this? <laughs> like, and I was like, yes! Oh my goodness. So the story <laughs> is that they tried to get it published, and the editor kept dragging his feet, and so they never really got it. It never went anywhere. And so they met a woman who is a food editor who kind of helped them with the book, and then someone who actually, I think it went, did it go through two before it went to the final editor? The girl? Who- yeah, well, yeah, it went through Houghton Mifflin Harcourt, which was like I think Houghton
0: Mifflin at the time, or maybe it was Harker. Whatever, it was one of them, and then it went to
1: Judith. I forget her last name, but she discovered the Diary of Anne Frank. Yes, and she was the one who really championed the cookbook because the male editor was was saying like, oh well, American women won't want to do this. This is too hard. Blah 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 blah. And then the the woman editor who got it from the pile was like. Oh my goodness, like she saw the potential and she was like, Yes, absolutely American at the time well, you know, American women will want to make these recipes. And so I thought it was really fascinating <laughs> that it took a woman to get that book published. I mean, goodness. Yeah.
0: She was she was really amazing and eventually did go Knopf. and I don't know. I have this biography of um Mrs. Knopf. And I can't remember her first name. I apologize. But so I'm very interested in that publishing house. It's one of my favorites as far as history goes. And so the fact that it picked up Mastering the Art of French Cooking, it just made me geek out as a publishing nerd, just seeing that and the quality of it. And they talked about the difficulties of publishing at the time. And, you know, they didn't have email. So these proofs, you know, Julia would type up, and send to people Which to, like, is test crazy. in American kitchens. It, yes, the whole process was just insane. Laborious. And, oh, my goodness. That A lot of love went in to that book. And so I've actually started, you know, there are copies of it everywhere. So I'm keeping an eye out for it. I use bookstores.
1: Well, if you find a second one, pick one up for me.
0: Oh, my goodness. The beef warming oil recipe is, is really good.
1: So I've heard. I couldn't come to that party of yours, but...
0: Um, so obviously we really loved My Life in France by Julie Child. And if you read it, definitely let us know because uh, we just have so much love for this book.
1: I know. And now I want to try some of her recipes for sure.
0: Definitely.
1: So that brings us to the end of another discussion episode. We hope that our talk encourages you to pick up either of these books. They really are fantastic and definitely worth your time. And Kendra, do you want to tell them what our theme is going to be next month?
0: Yes. So, ironically, we picked this months ago, but our next month's theme is Nobel Prize in Literature winners. Of course, the women who have won the prize. So, you at least know it'll be, you know, six out of 14 winners. Uh, So, you can (laughs) narrow that down because... Yeah, feelings. Anyway, we're going to be featuring some of the ones that we have either recently discovered or just really love and want to share with you guys. And yeah, we're really looking forward to it.
1: Yes, there are so few. It's slim pickings. Let me say that. It is slim pickings.
0: We still haven't changed the stats on our homepage of our website since we started the podcast. So that tells
1: you something. So sad. Feelings. So sad. Okay. Anyway, anyway, anyway. Um, yeah, so be sure to stay tuned for that. It'll be coming out in just a few weeks. So
0: until then, you can find us in your podcatcher of choice. We are now on most platforms. If we are not on one of the platforms or podcatchers that you use, definitely let us know, and we'll see what we can do about that. If you haven't already, please review us in Apple Podcasts. Especially, it helps other people find us. And thank you so much if you've already done that. Don't forget, we also have a newsletter, and we send updates for Q and A's with authors that we do, and news, and sometimes the first things come out in this newsletter. So that is really great. And we also feature some of our our Most anticipated book releases. So, all of that and the books that we mentioned today will be linked in our show notes.
1: So, be sure, as I, we mentioned, to join us next time where we will be talking about women who have won the Nobel Prize in Literature. Meanwhile, you can find Reading Women on social media at The Reading Women, and you can also find us at ReadingWomenPodcast.com. You can find Kendra and me at Auden Privet and Katie Winchester. Thank you all so much for listening, and we will talk to you soon. Bye, guys.